Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Welcome to the war and welcome to Rescue Radio. Hey, this is Margie Cole and we're going to be uh, opening the show today with our uh, introduction of our wonderful, awesome return guest, Doug Woodward. Hey, Doug, are you there? I am. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, You know, you're such a phenomenal researcher and writer and, you know, I've just learned so much from you and you've taken, you've, you've made my life easy. Did you know that? You're no, like, I didn't know that, but that is that is a good thing to well, do. Well, you are addressing one of the most complicated of all issues, and that is the end of all things, or the end of mm. the beginning of whatever, you know, the end of the world, yeah. Armageddon, the day of the Lord, Black battles, days, wars. Although we like uh, to yeah. talk the transitional yeah. period, you yeah. know, well, when life really begins, yes. Yeah, well, let's pray, and then I'm going to just kind of let you dive into your book, The Next Great War in okay. the Middle East, and then take us from sure. there. So, Lord, we thank you for Doug. Thank you for this awesome day, sunshine, truth, faith, faithfulness, Lord God, that you are in control of all things. You hold the world in your hands, and nothing, absolutely nothing happens without you knowing about it and permitting it and planning it ahead. So, Lord God, we're just cool with all that. We're rejoicing in the fact that you're letting us in on some of the top-level secrets of the universe and we thank you for giving us people like Doug to ferret them out, to search them out, and to um, pay attention to your word and to the very important little details of your word that it's kind of like a mystery, Lord. And we thank you for giving us eyes to see today and ears to hear and a heart to receive and not be afraid. So, God, we bind the powers of darkness that would try to mess up this broadcast. Anything Satan would do to try to hinder, hide, hold back, hitch, glitch, delay, bind, block, You're bound, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, because we're doing this under the assignment of the Most High God. And thank you, Lord God, for favor. And thank you for people listening and for people getting encouraged and people listening to what you're saying to us through this author, Doug Woodward. So, Father, give us, uh, you know, your speak as that we speak as the oracles of God and ask the right questions and make it simple. Amen. All right. Well, Doug, I did a I did a blitz. A blitz of reading through your book. It's awesome. Um, and you, <laughs> you. you cover a lot of ground in this book. You've written many books. And can I just kind of, you know, you know we've, sure. we've moved from the blood moons. Okay. We're moving yes, through uh, this true. whole. We've got through the blood moons and everybody pretty much poo-pooed that and said, no big deal here. Um, that was just a coincidence or a phenomenon of the cosmic universe or whatever. And so we've right. kind of. Most people just kind of blew it off, you know. Oh, well, maybe you saw one, maybe mm-hmm. you didn't. And you can tell your kids and grandkids to come. You saw the blood moon. Big deal, huh? And mm-hmm. so then now we've, we're moving into this ISIS thing. and and But you kind of, you know, and um, uh, well, we've got all the political stuff everywhere. All It's just complex everywhere. But can you begin somewhere to help us understand about, uh, we, we titled the show Gog, Magog, and the Rapture. So um, I know you've talked in the past about Russia nuking the United States. That was your last book, wasn't it? Will yeah, Russia? Sure. Yeah, it was uh, entitled "Will Is Russia Destined to Nuke the United States?" 
Okay. Yes, that was the last one. That, and that book focused a great deal on what was happening over the past two years in the Ukraine and <laughs> kind of what that whole Ukrainian uh, Crimea situation <clears throat> was really all about and then the fact that it led to so much saber rattling between uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, and to some extent NATO uh, primarily of course the United States and and big crisis you know in terms of of uh, both the Balkan states and the Baltic states uh, there in Eastern Europe and and so that was kind of it's kind of been the emphasis until really, as we got into this this past summer, began mm-hmm. to shift over to the Middle East again, and uh, shifted really back to what was happening in Syria. Um, yeah. Obviously, you, you know, we started off with the coalition of the United States, a little bit of England, a little bit of France, uh, bombing a little bit uh, certain you know uh, locations, ISIS locations. In uh, in Syria and Iraq, but uh, it is really really blew up. And of course, about a day or two after that last blood moon, coincidentally, mm-hmm. uh, oh, is when Russia decided to jump into the fray and escalate what's been going on in the Middle East dramatically. Oh, and, wow! Uh, and, and and so of course there's, you know, so, some some would point out that well maybe that wasn't entirely coincidental that you know a day after the blood moon all of a sudden <laughs> the, the activity in the Middle East you know intensifies dramatically which it did, mm-hmm. and uh, so anyway so I I've written this new book called the next great war in the Middle East. It's uh, the subtitle is Russia prepares to fulfill the prophecy of Gog and Magog. And, um, and I'm really dealing with several different issues, but just so um, kind of get kind of some real basic things out on the table. Uh, Gog and Magog refers to a specific war or battle uh, mm-hmm. that is discussed in great, great detail in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's mm-hmm. it's probably some of the most detailed, specific prophecy about the last days of of any uh, prophecies about the last days. Uh, mm-hmm. It is extremely detailed, um, particularly in terms of the aftermath of the of the war and what happens uh as it as as the the bible the prophet ezekiel talks very specifically about how the people of jerusalem will burn the weapons for seven yeah. years how they will go off and bury the dead and they will they will put markers whenever they discover a body and the bodies will be gathered uh, you can almost visualize people in hazmat suits Going out and collecting uh-huh. bodies yeah. and, and putting them in a pile for burning, and, uh, and so the, the Battle of Gog and Magog is a is a one of the climactic events of Bible prophecy, and um, and so that's one of the wars of the last days. The, uh-huh. the most famous war of the last days, of course, is the Battle or War of Armageddon, yeah. and uh, and of course that is just to take place. Um, well, it depends upon who you talk to. Some would say, well, it takes place in the Valley of Megiddo, which is in northern Israel. And then some say, well, actually, it really stretches from the Valley of Megiddo all the way down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is just a little south of uh, Jerusalem. So it's about 120 miles or, or thereabouts. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that is the very last battle, and it's at the climax of that battle that Jesus returns um, mm-hmm. with his armies all in white uh, and so forth. But there is a third war that mm-hmm. is discussed, and it has become kind of part and parcel of a lot of of uh, kind of the I won't call it conventional because it's actually not conventional. It is a newer point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that there is this thing called Psalm 83, and the mm-hmm. speculation that Psalm 83 is in fact a discussion of a of an additional war that will occur, mm-hmm. uh, and it is a war according to those that theorize about Psalm 83 as a war. Uh, they they theorize that that war has not yet happened. And it will happen, and in fact, it is a necessary precondition. It is a prelude that must occur before the battle of Gog and Magog can take place. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so hence now me. we're kind of getting to why I picked out this title. All right, so you've got these three wars that are being discussed in mm-hmm. the last days, and the question is, well, what is really the next great war in the Middle East? And and then there are different views. There's some views that say Psalm 83 is not a war at all. It's mm-hmm. uh, known as an imprecatory psalm written by Asaph, who was the psalmist who was a contemporary David, so he lived almost 3,000 years ago. He wrote the psalm 3,000 years ago. And then you've got some that say, well, the, the battle of Gog and Magog is, is really the next battle, and it's going to occur very soon. And and then there are some that say, well, it's really the same war as the War of Armageddon. In fact, the the two gentlemen that have written the most extensively uh, about the uh, have written books uh, on the so-called Islamic Antichrist, predicting that the Antichrist will be uh, Islamic or be be Muslim. They predict and they believe that the Gog and Magog War and the and the War of Armageddon are in fact the same war. All right. Okay. And uh, and so so long story short, of course, and I should say finally, I should say conventional eschatology that's mm-hmm. been taught well, really for two thousand years since the time of Christ Himself, uh, and even His comments in Matthew twenty four, I would argue, mm-hmm. suggest that the War of Armageddon is a very separate war, distinct war. And um, so, anyway, so you've, you've got all this, and that's kind of why I wrote a book called The Next Great War in the Middle East, to try to put all of these wars in context and talk about mm-hmm. this notion of, is the Antichrist uh, Islamic? Is he a Muslim? And how does that really change things? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and is it even right or is it wrong? Uh-huh. And um, uh-huh. And so... Yeah, and so that's kind of the that's the reason for the book. And then um the book really I could go ahead and explain the book kind of falls in two parts. Part mm-hmm. one, which is it's about forty percent of the book, is really addressing the mess, the geopolitical mess that we have in the Middle East. What's going on there? Why is mm-hmm. it happening? Historically, really looking at things over the past one hundred years. You know, why are things the way they are now given Historically, what's happened, going all the way back to World War One, back to the famous Balfour Declaration, back to the to the less famous, unless you're a historian, uh, this it's known as the Sykes Pico Treaty of uh, 1914 in that time frame, 
if, if you know about all that, then you then you know that it actually is kind of the the very roots of jihad. It is the it is the mm. core of why there is so much conflict and has been for over a hundred years in the Middle East. And so I talk a bit about that, but I kind of put that off in an appendix because that may be a little bit more history than some people want to have to dig into. So, oh, um, so but anyway, so I spend time on the geopolitical issues, try to explain what's going on, try to explain why America has made such big mistakes in foreign policy in uh, the Middle East over the past, I'd say, mm, 10 years especially, not just this this current administration, but the prior administration, uh, perhaps going really all the way back to George H.W. Bush back in the Mm -hmm. 90s, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of what's been going on, what's been motivating them, what have they done wrong, what are the few things we've done right, (laughs) and and then, uh, then of course, ISIS, where did ISIS come from, why is it such a, a problem, and then why is Russia involved, and what's that state, and then how does all that really set up Mm-hmm. Um, these wars in the the last days. So it's it all kind of sets as the backdrop to mm-hmm. get into the discussion of the the next great war in the Middle East. The discussion in Psalm eighty three and Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine and the final great war, uh, the Battle of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'll take a yeah. breath. Okay, that's awesome. But in the midst of all that, you've got to figure out where to place the rapture, if indeed. There is a rapture, which I'm, some people say there's not. I mean, even believers don't believe that there is. But, of course, there's yeah. pretty much biblical context to de- declare that tr- truly there is. And I thought, um, yeah, there's a, but I can see even in my very novice point of view, just kind of, and your books have been extremely helpful, so I really recommend them to people. That, Good, thank you. Um, okay, so Russia st- stepped back into the, the, the limelight, so to speak, after the blood yeah. moon, the fourth yeah. blood moon. And then wasn't it in November where they came down and showed showed off a little bit with their military might in Syria and bombing some of ISIS's compounds yeah, or whatever with a very it, strategic it, bomb that we didn't the, think they had? Yeah, there's, there's a series of issues. One was September 30th. It was mm-hmm. sort of the day uh, after the blood wounds had kind of wrapped up. That mm-hmm. was the first day that Russia essentially sent a diplomat into the American embassy in Baghdad and said, oh, by the way, uh, we think it would be a very good idea for you, America, to get all of your airplanes out of the sky because in one hour we are going to begin to bomb rebel positions in Syria. And so on September 30th, that's really when the Russians began uh, their bombing campaign, mm-hmm. and uh, and they did so in a vengeance, and uh, that really caught America off guard. And mm-hmm. um, uh, But that's that was one of the key dates. Then... Um, in well, let's see. It's not too long after that that the Russians. Um, people need to know a little bit a little bit about geography. You've got, of course, Syria is really right on the um, Mediterranean Sea, and then about a thousand miles away, um, well, about seven hundred, eight hundred miles away, you have the Black Sea, and then just a little further away, you have the Caspian Sea. Well, Russia used this situation as an opportunity to show that they had a cruise missile that they could launch from this little, kind of like a, it's not quite as small as a PT boat, but it's a pretty small boat, and they could launch a cruise missile that could travel 1,000 miles and actually hit a target in Syria. 
and it's a new class of cruise missile they call the Caliber missile, and it's spelled in America with a K, Caliber missile, and uh, they uh, fired several Caliber missiles that traveled a thousand miles and they hit targets in Syria, and and they really did that for one purpose. I mean, obviously they had ordnance via their airplanes and bombs, and they could mm-hmm. have just been dropping bombs, but they were using it as sort of a theater to display the fact that they had right. these new weapons and that they could right. use them. And Look so here, they did guys. that in, we got. in yeah. November. Yeah, and then and then you get into. This whole mess with Turkey, it was on the 24th of November that um, supposedly Russia got one of its airplanes for about 15 seconds into Turkish airspace, and Turkey had a couple of F-16s, which, of course, American-made fighters, and, of course, Turkey is a NATO nation, and uh, but Turkey ordered uh, their F-16s to engage with this Russian SU, I don't know if it was an SU-25 or what it was, but it was a Russian fighter bomber, and they shot it down. And then mm-hmm. when the Russian helicopters went to rescue the pilot that bailed out of the plane, they shot the helicopter, and they killed either the pilot or one of the helicopter rescuers. And so the question was, well, why in the world would Turkey go to such an extent mm-hmm. to do something like that, to poke... Vladimir Putin in the eye in over, the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the whole issue of airspace, were they really in the airspace or not? Well, this opened, this this actually began to give people insight into the fact that there's a whole lot more going on in Turkey and Syria and Kurdistan and Russia than we were being led to believe. And in fact, what we have learned since then Mm -hmm. which is really, really interesting, and it actually opens up this whole discussion of what was happening in Benghazi, was the fact that Turkey has been cooperating with ISIS with this, you know, horrific uh, supposed caliphate called ISIS. It had been cooperating by allowing ISIS to uh, truck oil from the oil fields that were in Iraq that had been drilled in Iraq, of course, with American and British technology and were technically property of the uh, of the Iraqis. Uh, and ISIS is basically stealing the oil, and they're trucking it across the border of Turkey, and Turkey is facilitating and helping to sell it. And so mm-hmm. as soon as, as, soon as, as uh, Erdogan who is the president of Turkey, started mm-hmm. telling Vladimir Putin, you know, that you have no right to send your airplanes across the border of Turkey. Uh, Putin said, well, okay, let me tell the rest of the world what you and your son are what doing. What you're doing. You and your, yeah. you and your son are helping ISIS uh, by actually allowing them to send their oil through Turkey, and ISIS is making over a million dollars a day in revenue that you, Turkey, are participating in, and you're skimming money off of the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so all of a sudden we find out that this supposed NATO, NATO. Ally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is actually aiding and abetting ISIS. The enemy. Mm-hmm. And the Russians, once again, which has been one of the curiosities of this whole affair, all of a sudden Russia looks like the good guy. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're attacking ISIS, and mm-hmm. they're trying to stop Turkey from allowing ISIS to make money. And and then 
and then, Margie, it gets worse. Uh-oh. Then what we learn, uh, an article that was published just a couple, three weeks ago by an investigative journalist named Seymour Hirsch, who has written, uh, he's, he's probably in our, in our lifetime, well, since our lifetime, I would say in the last 20 years, Seymour Hirsch is considered perhaps the top investigative journalist, sort of the Edward R. Murrow of our day. Mm-hmm. And um, Hearst published an article in the London Review of Books, and in that article, he basically pointed out that the United States has been running weapons uh, to the rebels in Syria, but the rebels in Syria predominantly are al-Qaeda and ISIS. And the reality is that we were not getting weapons into the hands of moderate uh, the so-called Free Syrian Army, the moderate rebels. Mm-hmm. We, in fact, were putting arms into the hands of al-Qaeda. And we might remember al-Qaeda were the guys that actually yeah. blew up the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And then ISIS, and of course ISIS is who were supposedly fighting that are chopping off the heads of Christians mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we've learned is that there has been a grand deception on the part of America. Uh, foreign policy uh, over the past three or four years. And in fact, the um, American ambassador, J. Christopher Stevens, uh, Chris Stevens, who was killed in Benghazi on September 12, 2012, the movie that just came out called 13 Hours, I went and saw it this past weekend. Well, it talks about um, this incident in Benghazi. What the movie doesn't tell you is that the CIA is in and was in Benghazi primarily facilitating the gun running from the United States and then later from the weapons cache that Muammar Gaddafi had in Libya. And we were moving weapons into, um, into Turkey and then from Turkey into Syria to facilitate the rebels warring against um, to help ISIS Bashar well, yeah, to help ISIS, uh, to uh, have them put pressure on Bashar al-Assad, who's the Syrian president, and who is the ally of Russia. Well, okay, now, so, oh, hold actually, on. Oh, 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 yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh. Let's talk, yeah, let me, <laughs> I'm summarizing back, here. You, and then My I'll tell you brain. where it even gets, where it gets okay. even worse. But go this ahead. This is like worse than a family feud here. Um, okay, mm. so, so in other words, Turkey got exposed by Russia for helping yes. ISIS ship their oil across there and steal it and sell it for higher prices and get your right. money and skim off some money right. for Turkey's benefit. So Russia exposed yep. that. Then we have an investigator who just figured out that America has been running weapons through the CIA um, yep. it, to the Syrian ISIS people to aff- to afflict the ruler of Syria right now, who is Assad, right. because the United States doesn't like, like Assad. But Russia likes Assad and doesn't like ISIS. But That's correct. Is that right? Okay. That's so, correct. And the reason is is that Syria has been for decades has mm-hmm. been a loyal Russian ally. Russia okay. has a naval base uh on the Mediterranean in Syria called Tartus or Tartarus and it has an air base called Latakia in Syria. So Russia has a has a presence in Syria and Russia wishes to protect that yeah, uh, military presence. 
and their okay. friend Syria and Assad. And so for some reason yeah. we don't like Assad. I don't know why. Why don't we like Assad? Because he's because he is a. This is where it gets into the Cold War. Some vestiges of the Cold War are still in play, and this is what Seymour Hearst points out: is that the Russians are have worked closely with Assad for decades. Assad and his father, uh, although they've been brutal dictators, they have been uh, allies to Russia, and they have been, of course, received military assistance from Russia for you know, 30, 40 years. And um, and Russia wants to protect their oh, yeah, the Mediterranean port, sure. port, right? Sure, they want right. to protect yeah, their presence. Yeah. yeah, and that's and it, oh. of course this will eventually gets into setting up the whole Ezekiel Magog Magog thing. Because mm-hmm. as the United States pulled out of Iraq, mm-hmm. it left the power vac- vacuum, mm-hmm. and um, the United so States wanted, yeah, wanted to basically allow the rebels uh, that we were sending weapons to, even though they were al-Qaeda and even though they are ISIS, the United States was aiding them um, to try to defeat Bashar al-Assad so that the Russians would lose their ability to have a Mediterranean port and uh, their presence in the Middle East. So, in effect, what you've had for mm-hmm. a long time in the Middle East, mm-hmm. this is no surprise, is a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Sure, that makes sense. But the thing is, then, then the United States, if we're supporting ISIS and all that other, you know, and Al-Qaeda and whatever, right. then we are actually responsible for the beheading of all these people because we keep funding and feeding this monster. And, you know, to to me, I think ISIS. Yes, and of course, not... we're saying, and of course, we're saying that we're trying to defeat them. We are trying to right. decimate them right. and destroy right. them. It's That's called divination. Saying. You say one thing, yes. and you're actually doing something totally different behind yes. it. And the American people don't even care. They're too busy with their yes. Super Bowl and blah blah blah. They don't even care. It takes a little bit of mind energy to keep up with yes. all this. And there's so much lies to sort through. Somebody like you has got to sort through the garbage and figure out what's really going on. Which I thank you for doing. But um, well, that's so, all right. So now we've got, okay, so Russia's back, got her weapons, she's got her friends, she's protecting, America is being stupid, um, and I don't know what we're thinking we're going to do because we're not very well Well, thought out. Well, I haven't really told you you the crescendo yet. The crescendo (laughs) of this is that the United States is actually at war with itself in the Middle East. Because what's happened yeah. is that yeah. all of this, all of these weapons that have been been flowing through uh, Benghazi that got our ambassador killed and, and several other CIA members is, is killed. Is Benghazi in Libya? Or where yes, Benghazi is in Libya. Okay, so yes, the two okay, major cities are Tripoli and Libya. Uh, mm-hmm. Excuse me, Tripoli and Benghazi in Libya. And the CIA, uh, this movie, Thirteen Hours, which is a uh, a very action-packed and, for the most part, true movie, uh, talks about the incident when Christopher Stevens was killed and talks mm-hmm. about the CIA, and it also points out how the CIA was doing things in the Middle East that, of course, the Pentagon knew nothing about. Well, mm-hmm. what's really come out, and this is what Seymour Hurst pointed out, is that there has been a uh, a war, a chess match between the White House and the CIA on the one side and the Pentagon on the other. So, in fact, what's happened is the Pentagon, for quite some time, since at least 2011, when the Arab Spring began, 
the Pentagon began to get very concerned that President Obama wanted mm-hmm. to fund the rebels mm-hmm. in Syria, especially after what had already happened in Egypt and in Libya, where former friends of the United States, due to the um, policy of this president, the policy of this president has been to eliminate the autocratic leaders that had been, you know, their brutal dictators. They had been American right. allies for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, Obama mm-hmm. decided to take them all out. And so first we lost uh, Mubarak. And uh, eventually, of course, we've come back to al-Sisi, which is uh, in Egypt, which is the Egyptian general that replaced then a Muslim Brotherhood guy named uh, Mohammed Morsi. But anyway, so Egypt is sort of back into a military uh, junta, you might say, that runs Egypt. Uh, Libya is a total failed state. Um, So the United States, through the CIA, uh, facilitated the assassination of Muammar Gaddafi. Of course, Gaddafi's you know, he's a bad guy, but you have to remember these both of these countries were actually uh organized, law and order existed. Uh mm-hmm. they, they had economies, uh people were not being shot randomly. Um <laughs> and the United Some States mm-hmm. United States decided that it would be better to make them failed states. The United States, and this is what, of course, Vladimir Putin has said on 60 Minutes and other things, is so what basically the United States, he says, has been wanting to do uh, Mm -hmm. in Syria is to do the same thing that it Mm -hmm. did in Iraq, that it did in Libya, that it did in Egypt, which is to basically turn them all into chaotic failed states. And so Putin has been able to take the moral high ground and basically Mm -hmm. say, I stand for law and order. You may not like the fact that my leaders are brutal, but at least there is a law and order. And mm-hmm. uh, and so, um, so what happened then? And here's the here's the real amazing thing: is that the Pentagon decided that they disagreed with the president, and so they actually conducted a soft coup d'état uh, and began to pass military actionable military intelligence against the wishes of the White House. In fact, the White House didn't even know it. They began to pass intelligence to the Russians, to the Germans, and to the Israelis, wanting that intelligence to come back and get into the hands of Bashar al-Assad so that Bashar al-Assad would be able to defeat the efforts of the CIA. Wow. So you you literally had... Well, well, we have more than a movie going on here. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. We have a real so, action pack so that, in real life. Yeah, so, so, so the Pentagon so did they get in trouble? I, yeah, pardon me. Did the Pentagon get yeah. in trouble when when? Yes, they, Martin Martin Dempsey was fired uh, and replaced this past summer by uh, General uh, Joe Dumford, and uh, and you you may or may not be aware that over the past three years, Obama has eliminated uh, well over a hundred generals. Um, and essentially has been taking the military. Um, he's essentially been eradicating anyone in the military that opposes his policies. And, and of course, his policies have been... This is called dictatorship. Been, this it? is called what? Dictatorship? Yeah, yeah, one could call it dictatorship. It's an American version of dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so what is happening, and of course, where all this gets into biblical issues, is that 
we have a power vacuum in the Middle East. The Russians are filling it. The Russians are supporting uh, Iran and Syria, the so-called Fertile Crescent, and, of course, the Shia in Iraq. And what is, of course, the most amazing thing of all is that for some great reason, our president decided that it would be wise to do a nuclear deal with Iran, the same ally of Russia, yeah. decided that it would be a good idea to have a treaty with Iran. And in with that Russia treaty, Trump. he facilitated uh, the continuation and uh, advancement of nuclear development um, in Iran. And so all of a sudden, the United States has turned against Israel it's turned against Saudi Arabia. It's turned against Jordan. It has supported uh, the Shia, um, and it has vacated the premises, essentially allowing uh, Russia to come into play. And in the meantime, it's also decided to provide weapons to ISIS and to al-Qaeda. And so this is the administration that is running our country right now. Wow, wow, wow. God of mercy. So if I got this part straight, so then um, basically Obama's taken out our own Pentagon using the CIA as his own little Gestapo to do what he wants done. And I can only have mercy on the people in the CIA if they, if they don't want to do it. So he's removing like 100 generals, put in a new one, that likes him, I suppose. And then he gives permission to Iran to keep going with their uh, nuclear stuff. But how does that... and you know, if Iran is already a friend of Russia and the United States mm-hmm. gives them permission to do the nuclear weapons and continue that as hoping that they will maybe, what, take over, you know, the power vacuum instead of Russia? Is that what he's thinking? Uh, well, he's thinking, according to what some experts have said and what I've written about, is that his rationale for what he was doing with Iran was mm-hmm. he was deciding that the Shia in the form of Iran um, primarily Iran, were more uh, stable and more reliable than were the Sunnis. And, of course, the Sunnis now, which one? are, okay, yeah, the Shia are, the Shia are in Iran, mm-hmm. for the most part in Iraq. Right? So mm-hmm. the existing government is predominantly a Shia government, and Syria is predominantly Alawites, uh, which is a sort of another uh, tribe or uh, political party. And then ISIS, ironically, is Sunni, and the Saudis, the Jordanians, the Turks, Qatar, Arab Emirates are all Sunni. Uh, it's only Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia, that is, in fact, uh, Shia. But So the Sunnis outnumber the Shia dramatically around the world, uh, but especially in, uh, in this now, Middle Eastern Sunnis, area. Are the are the Sunnis the nicer guys? I, you know, Shia Sunni. Which are the no. nicer guys? It depends. There's a there's a sect within um, within Sunnism called the Wahhabis or the Wahhabis, and it really is the Wahhabis that have been funding and financing. They financed 911. They really were the primary uh, persons behind the uh you know the attack on america and they are the ones that are encouraging and supporting isis and you still have the wahhabis in in saudi arabia and in qatar which is 
there along the coast, um, uh, coastline there of, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of it's, um, not well around the Sinai Peninsula there, um, the Gulf of Hormuz. Um, it's in that Gulf, and it is um, it is the Sunnis that are supplying monies to um, ISIS. ISIS is a Sunni Wahhabist um, extremist sect. They are opposed to um, the Iranians. All right, and the the Shia, and yet this is the this is the Middle East. If it seems confusing, it is confusing. So they're opposed um, to the Iranians, and, did you say? Yeah. So the Iranians. Oh, because the Iranians are Shia. Uh, okay. Are Shia, and so yeah, so that so the hope and the thinking was, well, the United States would much prefer to have the Shia deal with the problem of al-Qaeda and the problem of ISIS. And mm-hmm. so we did the deal with Iran mm-hmm. so that they would do the dirty work because the U.S. government essentially said, we do not want any longer to have to fight any more wars in the Middle East. So we are going to pull out. So in 2012, we vacated the premises. We pulled out of Iraq. Uh, we haven't totally p- pulled out of Afghanistan, but Afghanistan is is a pretty distant, far theater away from this, you know, the oil fields of, of uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Iran. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we were hoping that they would take, you know, responsibility for, for it. And what we really hadn't figured on was the fact that that. And with our departure, the Russians would rush in and fill the power vacuum of so they got what there occurred first. in the Middle East. Yeah, and so the, so the Russians have have taken advantage what, what of okay, a series so of blunders sense. in our foreign policy. I'm sorry. So wasn't this Iranian deal done in July, and so we still thought Russia was yes. sleeping, hibernating, and then yes. come up in September, November, we get Russia with their, you know, look at us, we're here, we're alive, we got lots of good weapons, and so that kind of backfired on us because we didn't count on Russia filling the vacuum that we thought Iran would do. Iran would do, but we had drug out the but deal too that's long. Right. So whatever. That's right. The okay, Russians so decided that it was that, that Bashar al-Assad was sinking, and that they could not stand by. They clearly saw the United States was uh, attempting to, to, you know, to destroy the regime of Bashar al-Assad in Syria, and to do in Syria what we had uh, facilitated in Egypt and in Libya and in Iraq. And mm-hmm. so they decided that they would have to assert themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. And well, so, now this is all just. The Word of God actually being played out in our very backyard, in our front yard, and all around us, because this is setting everything up, and it makes very much sense to me how that... I know you've talked about people who think Gog and Magog is Turkey and whatever else, but uh, right, it, right, right. it doesn't, according to the even the interpretation of Rosh, Meshach, uh, uh, you know, all these things... Uh, um, right. That, that's Russian. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it translated as Russia or... The, the North Country. Yeah, well, you, the, the, of course, it's very controversial. This has been the subject of, of scholarly debate and research for literally hundreds of years about mm-hmm. who are these cast of characters that we begin with uh, at the beginning of Ezekiel 38. And um, and there really are really two primary schools of thought um, mm-hmm. that that matter. There's others that are very tiny that don't really 
uh, have much uh, influence. But the two schools of thought, conventional school of thought, is that um, the the leader of the this group that's discussed, the chief prince of of, uh, of God, uh, which actually appears in some translations to be Ross or Rus which um, I argue, uh, as do other conventional scholars, that it is, in fact, Russia, that mm-hmm. it's not just... Uh, it, is, it is a word that could be translated chief, as in, like, chief priest. Mm-hmm. In this case, chief um, chief um, uh, prince. But I believe that it actually is referring to Russia, and so um, I argue that. And Nishek Tubal, uh, Togomar... Um, you get into a series of of other nations that are talked about, Persia, Ethiopia, Put, Kush, and so on. So you have to kind of go into an analysis of genealogies or what uh, the actual uh, disciplines called demography, demographers that that look at and see where are all these people, where did they come from, where did they settle, and um, and so the conventional school of thought says that they are the sons of Japheth, and they settled throughout Europe and Asia, or as we're calling it these days, Eurasia. And, uh, and so they they settled all the way from England to uh, to Japan, right? And so that's the sons of Japheth. And then the, the, so the traditional view is that the the Battle of Gog and Magog really are, are Eurasians that are coming against Israel. Um, specifically, for uh, they are they had a hook put into their jaws, and they've decided to come against Israel, and Israel is dwelling in a secure situation, um, apparently a secure situation in the Middle East. And um, but the the debate about um, this is whether or not we're dealing with with Russia and these Eurasian nations, or whether we're just dealing with Turkish nations. The, the view of, of uh, two primary authors, Joel Richardson and Walid Shubat, is that um, their view is the Bible is a Middle Eastern book. It relates just to Israel, the immediate surrounding nations, that Meshach, Tubal, that these tribes uh, originally settled in Turkey uh, after the flood of Noah, and that they are known as Turkish uh, tribes that settled between the Caspian and Black Sea, and so on, mm-hmm. and um, and of course, what I what I point out is that um, all of the human race initially settled in Turkey after right. the flood, because mm-hmm. that was where the ark landed at Mount Ararat, and, and that, mm-hmm. that was in Turkey. And uh, I happen to believe it was in Turkey, not in Iran, which is uh, another theory, but. Nevertheless, uh, everyone started it's close off there, enough. But, but yeah, but by the time that Ezekiel wrote uh, his prophecy in about 550 BC, mm-hmm. um, the flood had occurred uh, and the ark had settled almost, not quite, 2,000 years earlier, and mm-hmm. the human race had been dispersed around the world. I, and of course, I, I would argue even in the New World. by the time Ezekiel wrote. And so you had all of these tribes. These tribes are, of course, mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, the so-called Table of Nations. Mm -hmm. And uh, But these these peoples (coughs) had dispersed all across the world. 
Mm-hmm. And so by the time you get to Ezekiel, the idea that the Russians uh, actually were a people that lived in what we now know as Russia, um, that there were, you know, the, in fact, uh, in the so-called stands, the Russian steppes, there were already people that had, had lived there that were living all the way into China. This was mm-hmm. all true by the time of Ezekiel. So uh-huh. it's not necessarily the case. Hold on a second. Okay, so why you had to get a swig of yeah, I had to get a swig yeah. of coffee. Go ahead. Hey. Good question. Well, you've got an awesome table on page one sixty eight about that <laughs> table of nations, so to speak, and yeah. who they were then and what they are now. And this is awesome because people don't have time to do all this research, but I've always wondered who they are now because they are somebody now, right. uh, and they came right. from somebody back then. So you know, most of right. us, I suppose, as Gentiles, are of the tribe of Japheth somehow. Of <laughs> Japheth, yeah. Although yeah. Gentiles technically would be uh, both of Ham and of Japheth, with uh, mm-hmm. Shem being the father of the Semites, oh, Jews. Uh, the Semites, yeah, the Jews Jewish and mm-hmm. and and Arabs and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, the <laughs> thing is, no problem. But, but moving, come back here. Uh, but um, okay. yeah. So the thing is, we've got everything getting set up, whether we realize it or not, whether we're playing our life as normal or not. On the bigger picture, these nations, and it says in there uh, in the Bible that God would put a hook in Russia's jaw, Gog's Magog um, right. jaw, and bring them down. And so, really, they're not even going to have anything to say about this. It's the, a divine orchestration of human events, I would say. And but you have yeah, some it, very interesting, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in the terms of let's just say that the Psalm eighty-three war is. Uh, it's not to me. It's like now it's these uh, the inner circle of nations that are fighting Israel that don't like Israel that, you know, mm-hmm. are you know boycotting. There, that's kind of like their war right now. They're kind of like not happy with them, but they're not dropping bombs on each other necessarily. So I would say that is a war of sorts. Just missiles. Just missiles. <laughs> oh, well, okay, I'm sorry. I forgot about the little, that little part, the missiles. Right. Well, yeah, that's a yeah. war. It's just an ongoing, dragged out, I don't like you, build a wall, shoot a missile, kill a few people, right. war. It's not like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to take this to the core of the earth here. Um, mm-hmm. But right. but nonetheless, right. it's a war, and God mentions mm-hmm. it about, you know, the people who don't like them. But then you move into the, the thing with Russia and the United States and major players who are moving their missiles and moving their their equipment and their influences here right. and there and everywhere. So yes. you're going to have, and they're going to just, you know, take Israel out. But I, I, I you know, then they're we talk about. To uh, right, right. You're exactly they right. Not, they're going they to end up. Be successful. No, isn't that amazing? That is totally, mm-hmm. that little New, Jer- uh, New Jersey sliver of land is going to, Annihilate Eurasia, probably. What a deal! Yeah. I mean, I can't wait yeah. to see that. But, but um, in the process, there's another um, possibility that because this, I, I'm opening this up for you to talk to me about it, is that because we are um, friends of Israel, or supposedly, I mean, sort of on paper, or whatever, that when Russia mm-hmm. comes down to attack Israel, that they will think in their minds, wait a minute, before we attack Israel, we better take the United States out because they might come and get us from behind right. or something. And right, so exactly. they actually shoot their thousand mile missiles from off the coast of wherever into the United <laughs> right. States and pinpoint pretty accurately their targets, whatever those targets might be. Because I don't yeah. think our missiles are that far. I mean, we can't shoot them that long. 
Uh, well, actually, we now let me let me clarify. We okay. technically there's you know there's different kinds of weapons, and the kinds mm-hmm. of weapons we're talking about now are known as intercontinental uh, ballistic missiles or ICBMs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cruise missiles are tend to be short range. They tend to be mm-hmm. a few hundred miles to a few thousand miles, and um, ICBMs can travel you know, ten thousand miles or, or longer. And mm-hmm. the Russians uh, back you know during the Cuban Missile Crisis and and, and really, throughout the Cold War, um, we had, you know, a thousand, we had several thousand nuclear warheads, and the Russians had several thousand nuclear warheads, and we both had intercontinental ballistic missiles that could travel not just hundreds, but thousands of miles and and, uh, and hit their targets. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, we had atomic weapons and we had hydrogen weapons, and hydrogen weapons were virtually a thousand times more powerful than the weapons that hit uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, so that's been the world we've lived in for the last 50-some years. Um, but what's uh, what's occurred is, is that the um, predominant platforms for launching missiles have mm-hmm. shifted to submarines and uh-huh. to mobile platforms if you are Soviets. The United mm-hmm. States does not talk about, and I'm not aware that it has, mobile uh, launch platforms like giant trucks where you put these big uh-huh. missiles on these back of these trucks and you can drive them around and keep them mobile. Our ICBMs have been located in silos you know, mm-hmm. for decades. Mm-hmm. and um, But we have what is known as the, the Trident defense, which is the, the big submarines. Uh, which we have about 80 subs. About half of them are known as boomers or nuclear submarines. They're all nuclear-powered, but half of them mm-hmm. have nuclear weapons. And so we have about 40 nuclear subs around the world. And the Russians don't have that many. They have uh, more in the range of a couple of dozen of nuclear subs, but they, too, have the ability to launch nuclear weapons from submarines. We both have land-based <laughs> Silo-based nuclear weapons. The Russians also have mobile-based nuclear weapons. Um, they're so-called uh, SS-27s and and uh, and other newer weapons that they'll be deploying. And then and then so they're in addition to the uh, submarine-based and the land-based. Then there's also aircraft and aircraft B-1 bomber on our mm-hmm. side. The the Russians have had backfire bombers for some time. And uh, and so bombers are also mm-hmm. ability to have the ability to carry uh, very large, very powerful uh, megaton type nuclear weapons. So, um, so everybody's has, got their warheads and their. So everybody's weapons. got warheads. They've been through the uh, the so-called salt talks and then later the start talks. Um, mm-hmm. The total number of large-scale nuclear weapons have shrunk dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. But what has uh, been sort of the what's what's really the issue right now is the anti-ballistic missiles. These are missiles that shoot down these great big missiles, so mm-hmm. they're smaller missiles. But the United States has very very few of these missiles, and the Soviets, excuse me, the Russians, um, they have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of a kind of a slip and kind of not. Um, the Russians have over 12,000 of these missiles. Mm -hmm. We have probably no more than 100. Mm -hmm. And the Russians, in their newer technologies, the so-called S-400s, that they've deployed in Syria as a means of helping to protect their fighter aircraft from the Mm -hmm. Turks, 
when he just shoots their planes down. Um, and the S-300, an older model that they've actually sold to Iran. They also have a newer model called the S-500, which will is in production and will be being deployed over the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. The S-500 has the ability to do both, meaning that it can be a defensive weapon. It can shoot mm-hmm. down incoming weapons, but it also can be an offensive weapon. Okay. So all of a sudden, uh, we have roughly 1,500 uh, nuclear missiles that are capable of, of hitting Russia. Russia all of a sudden has 15,000. Mm-hmm. Wow. and uh, or, or it will within a few years. And so that's why the U.S. is in uh, one of the reasons why the U.S. is so vulnerable. And, um, and so that's another one of the reasons why I wrote the book. And, yes, getting back to the biblical prophecy, I believe that in Ezekiel 38 – um, that the prophecy there, as well as the prophecies in Jeremiah 50 and 51, um, suggest that the United States will be attacked by uh, nations from the north, predominantly Russia. It could be mm-hmm. also China and North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, all could attack the United States sometime prior to um, the battle or the war of Gog and Magog. And um, and so right, right, I believe right it would be mm-hmm. it would be done as a means to neutralize the United States, their ability, the United States' ability to come to the aid, defense mm-hmm. of either Israel or Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think the threat, you know, the threats are primarily going to be by Iran, by Russia, uh, perhaps by other Shia in. Uh, in Iraq and in Syria against Israel, and the the other threats would be really the the relationship between Russia and China and North Korea, and mm-hmm. all of those great powers from the north seem to be talked about in Jeremiah fifty and fifty one. They're not. It's not as obvious they're talked about in Gog and Magog, and I don't believe they are included in that war, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is possible that in terms of the attacks that come against the United States, mm-hmm. that they will be involved and that mm-hmm. this will be, in effect, a fulfillment of, of Jeremiah 50 and 51. And so mm-hmm. this could be happening. And, of course, this this leads us, we only have a few minutes left, this leads us up to the rapture. Yeah. The, the part when we're looking could the for. rapture happen? When? when? Right? Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. I, I do believe that the rapture is very biblical, uh, 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 15, if you do not believe in the rapture, you do not believe in the resurrection, because they are actually one and the same. Mm-hmm. The rapture refers to those who are alive when the Lord comes, and the resurrection refers to those who have fallen asleep, as Paul says, when the Lord comes. Mm-hmm. But their resurrection of the quick and the dead, as we read about in the Apostles' Creed and uh, mm-hmm. and actually another verse that Paul talks about, the coming for the quick and the dead, mm-hmm. that that will occur um, at some point. Of course, the great debate, does it happen before the tribulation? Does it happen at the middle point? Does it happen at the end? Mm-hmm. I actually put forth a theory that others share, others mm-hmm. like uh, the Tim LaHaye, um, Randall Price, Chuck Missler, that the Battle of Gog and Magog, which I think is the next great war in the Middle East, I believe the mm-hmm. Psalm 83 um, war, so-called, is 
in effect, the ongoing battles that are restoring Israel that have been going on really since World War One, predominantly, mm-hmm. though, of course, since 1948 and, mm-hmm. and beyond, that these are the wars of restoration. And, uh, and the psalm is prophetic, but I do not believe Psalm 83 refers to a future war um, and that the destruction that is talked about by those who argue for Psalm 83, much of that destruction actually occurs in either the Battle of Armageddon or the Battle of, uh, of Gog and Magog. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the Battle of Gog and Magog, um, we don't have a lot of time. People have to get the book to read about this. Yeah, that's right, I have a whole this chapter. is a cliffhanger here. <laughs> yeah, I have a whole chapter talking about the timing of, of all these things. But, I know. but the, at the end of Ezekiel 38, there is discussion about fire and brimstone. There's discussion about God sending fire upon the coastlands, uh, fire upon the land of Magog and the lands of those who have sought to attack Israel. Um, mm-hmm. And there's talk about a great earthquake, a great earthquake mm-hmm. that brings down all the walls, that, that shakes all of the mountains of the earth. And what I point out, which is also uh, something that Douglas Berner, who wrote a book called The Silence is Broken, and who wrote a great book on Ezekiel 38-39, Douglas Berner is his name, B-E-R-N-E-R, mm-hmm. um, he argued, and I had argued the same, and John Price, who wrote the foreword to my book, who wrote a very successful book called The End of America, he agrees mm-hmm. that we're talking about the great earthquake of Revelation 6, as well as the earthquake here at the end of Ezekiel 38, and that it is very conceivable that this great earthquake actually occurs approximately 10 years before the the actual physical, visible return of Christ when every eye shall see him, and that the Revelation 6 earthquake, which uh, this is the earthquake you may recall where it, it oh, yeah, the rocks the are calling and the masters and the kings. And, yes, mm-hmm. they call down the rocks to cover cover them. Mm-hmm. They're in the caves. And, and, you know, who can stand? This is the day of the Lord, and who can stand? Mm-hmm. And um, similar language is used in Ezekiel 38, uh, seven times in Ezekiel 38, 39. Ezekiel talks about this is the day or this day, mm-hmm. uh, in this day. And it appears that, that we have reached a... Uh, a kind of a watershed moment in the history of humankind. And this great earthquake that Ezekiel talks about appears to be the same earthquake that's talked about in Revelation 6. Now remember, Revelation 6, this begins the judgments of Revelation. It doesn't end them. It begins them. Oh, really? After This is the sixth seal, so we still have the seventh seal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then we have all the trumpets, then we have all the vials. So you're saying that the, the the sixth seal begins the judgment, the day of the, so the wrath the, of God, the time of judgment and the wrath of God, mm-hmm. and it is um, potentially, and this is uh, a good scholar like an Arnold Fruchtenbaum, uh, Fruchtenbaum and uh, my friend Gary Stearman and others have argued that we're dealing with a war that may take place three and a half years before the beginning of Daniel's seventieth week. Uh, the final seven years, so it actually okay. may be about a ten to ten and a half year period before uh, Jesus actually returns. Okay, so and let me so recap. This is when it you may to, occur. Yeah, go let's ahead. See if I've got it. Okay, I've been listening, but okay. So 
this Gog-Magog conflict that we're seeing now will precipitate in the destruction of America as we know it, which will uh, create um, the earthquakes? Is that what you're talking about? Well, I'm not saying that, that it will create the earthquake. It may well be that, Simultaneous that the earthquake, earthquake? Is, a, is a natural phenomenon that is caused by the Lord because we learned right. that the Lord judges right. Gog, G-O-G, the Lord mm-hmm. judges Gog, uh, for its wanting to come against to Israel. cover Israel and to destroy Israel, and so, so that's he how he's will going to judge. destroy Russia and the and the Eurasian nations, but or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it's, there's discussion of fire and brimstone as well. Right. As the so this is the fire of the sixth seal, uh, and well, with the sixth seal is the great earthquake. So possibly all this yes. nuclear activity could shake the plates and create the earthquake. Sure but could. is this the point then when you have the earthquake and the earthquakes? And we're talking about mm-hmm. the definitions and descriptions of the rapture. Is that happening at the same time? Then is that that's, that's what that's what I have theorized, and many others have as well. That you reach this reach this sort of point of crescendo here mm-hmm. at the at the Battle of Gog and Magog, in which the United States is uh, being appears, it is being attacked probably by intercontinental ballistic missiles and right. perhaps right. some cruise missiles because they. You know, these submarines have them right off the shore of our station. <laughs> so yeah, well, here, I was thinking of this this morning when I was thinking about this possibility as I'd finished kind of reading the book. Um, you know, that'd be a good way to camouflage the rapture because you've got a lot of missiles. Certainly would, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. people are missing, and who knows if they got vaporized or, you know, whatever. Right. So there's no, you know, certain people are gone, and, you know, nobody maybe will put it together that certain people happen to be a certain class of people um, that right. are, you know, altogether missing. Um, right. So if, well, if, it, if uh, that that is that is correct, and and, uh, and of course I go into this in uh, in very 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 good detail as you've seen in the book, and mm-hmm. and very point out book. that this is not not just my theory, but I point out all of the yep. other well known yeah, scholars, scholars that yep. tend to agree with mm-hmm. uh, this perspective, although well, it's not well that, known. If that's the case. Then and it would make sense because I think there's a place, isn't it, Luke, where he says, "Pray that you be delivered from the the day mm-hmm. of wrath," and that the wrath be found of worthy God, to escape all these things. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's how he says. Yeah, it. Luke, Luke um, twenty one. So that yeah. so that day of wrath, if it doesn't begin till Revelation six, when you see the big earthquake happening, um, mm-hmm. and I believe that you know we're not here. God isn't here to judge his people. His people are being tested right now like crazy. Right. And so, right. uh, but if we're talking the Gog Magog thing and the moving of this event, which could happen basically, I mean, within our within this year, who knows? Yes. I mean, I'm not yeah. predicting yeah. anything, but people the way argue things, that you know, well, isn't the rapture imminent? Couldn't happen at any time. And and I've gotten to the point where I say, yeah, but then again, so could the so could the war of Gog and Magog. It could be happening almost at any time now. Well, if they are simultaneous or very close to simultaneous, and God is, right. I mean. God's delivering his his people, maybe a billion people or whatever, right, as you right. mentioned, possibly uh, Christians, believers out of the world. Mm-hmm. Then God sets the stage to deal with the rest of them, you know. And that's I think right. that's right. I think that's just. I don't think yeah, that those who've given it, their hearts to God should all be destroyed with the wicked. Um, right. But at the same time, well, wouldn't and, this and, give ten years for right. people to come to their senses? And of course, it gives plenty of time for the <laughs> the. Um, you know they're going to go on their merry way with their little, 
you know, right. rebellions against God and building the temple and <laughs> Christ coming in. So yeah, well, it, it gives exactly. It gives. It really gives uh, about a three-year window for the you know for the Antichrist to sort of pull the pieces together to mm-hmm. create a seven-year covenant with Israel, mm-hmm. and then three and a half years after that, or essentially perhaps as much as seven years after the War of Gog and Magog, then mm-hmm. the Antichrist reveals himself. Um, breaks the covenant in the midst of the covenant, and uh, and then this is when we we believe this is when the trumpets and the vials of God's wrath begin to pour out uh, upon the upon the world sometime during this final three and a half year period of time. So, and another in, interesting passage in Second Thessalonians, real quick, is that um, he says in chapter two, um, talking about the Antichrist. Uh, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless there's a falling away. We know what that, that's been going on. And the man of yes. sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes right. and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, of course, we don't have the temple yet. Do you not remember that's that right. when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, and that's a capital H in my Bible, who who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then yes. the lawless one will be revealed. So this to me says, when the Holy Spirit is removed, and that would mean he can't go until we go, because he's he's committed mm-hmm. to stay with us as the church, mm-hmm. as the body of Christ, whatever. And so... And then, so nothing, the Antichrist won't be revealed. His mysteries of lawlessness won't really get into their full full high-speed-ahead gear until right, right. we're out of here, and there's no more restraining. And so then we have all kinds of things coming down. We have Chimera. We have, you know, biotechnologies. We have, you know, programmed... The great, the great scorpions. Know, yeah, we have all kinds of things. And, kinds and so I things. think we're just in the beginning of this time of sorrows, but I'm wet, and it would make sense to me that God would take his people. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were God, if you had kids and you knew this was going to happen, wouldn't you get them out of the house if you're going to blow the house up? I mean... Well, of course, that's, <laughs> for people like you and me that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, that's exactly what we would think. There are, huh. of course, we have good brothers and sisters that believe that it's not going to happen that way, that we are going to be here and that we are going to endure a much well, we are plenty. We're, we're starting to endure what they're thinking we're going to have to endure already. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of discrimination and harmful things and practicing of witchcraft against us and injustices well, beyond measure. And if, and if you happen to live, if you're a Christian in Syria or a Christian right. in Egypt, it's already happened, you're having right? to deal with, with persecutions and beheadings and so forth already, yes. All right, exactly. Well, you know, this has been a phenomenal show, and that, we haven't even talked about where they can get your book yet, uh, and I think oh, we need... Oh, that's true. You know, every, I have that's to t- t- touch base with you about every six months because you write another book, and uh, if you keep me posted I, on... I do. <laughs> I try to write them faster than you can read them. Yes, you do. You try to write them to keep me informed, and I would really recommend. I mean, you've got a whole host of books and a website, so why don't you give us uh, where we can find sure. all this stuff? Yes, well, you can find that the book is called The Next Great War in the Middle East, and you can find it on Amazon. It's available both in a paperback as well as a Kindle version. Um, it should be available now at uh, Barnes & Noble on the, the Nook Reader. It should be available on iBook uh, for Apple. 
um, and it should be also at Lulu for those of you that use Lulu. And, uh, <laughs> and it's also available in a number of ministries. Uh, Prophecy in the News carries it. Southwest Radio Church carries it. And um, and there's a whole reseller group that uh, that Amazon has that carries it. So, but you can certainly just do a search on Amazon and find it and and um, and get it either in paperback or uh, an ebook if you want. Yes, and can you get it off your website as well, or no? Well, you can you can get all kinds of information about it from my website. Okay. My website is faith-happens.com. Faith happens with a hyphen dot com. And uh, if you go under book excerpts. You can read the introduction. It's about a 20-page introduction of the book. And if you also look at a number of my blogs, I've written a number of, of articles and will continue to write articles on these same subjects because uh, mm-hmm. i got to keep current because so much is happening. Yeah. Uh, there's an article that I, that I wrote recently called Five Years Later, um, How Has the Arab Spring Moved Us Towards the Fulfillment of Bible Prophecy? And it's, uh, oh. it's also you can find me on Facebook, too. Uh, go to Facebook and look for S, as in Stephen Douglas Woodward, S. Douglas Woodward, and um, and you can read those articles uh, from my Facebook page as well. Well, you are a prolific researcher, prayer writer, understanding of these events, and I really, you know, audience, I have to say, I've listened to a lot of people, but this guy seems to have his head on his shoulders correctly. And, uh, you know, you make sense. You're not, you're not sensational. You're not out there, you know, trying to spin something to, you know, cause hyper whatever. You're just doing the, 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 well, the I, diligent, I, I, due diligence. I believe research. that we, you know, I believe that we need to stay plugged into what's happening in the world. And, and so I really believe mm-hmm. geopolitics mm-hmm. is important. That's the basis for so much of Bible prophecy historically. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's where the emphasis needs to be right now. Yeah. Well, I like the so, fact that you do my work. I have I you on the radio the and you tell me everything. Anyway. I'll yeah. be, you'll be back a couple of weeks here. So, But if anything exciting really happens, you know, like something's getting blown up. And I don't, by the way, I confess, I do not listen to the news. I catch I um, Skywatch, you know. But mm-hmm. I don't listen to the CNN, Fox, those guys, because they're just <laughs> with a bunch of garbage. Anyway, so, but well, I do appreciate I, I you digging it out for us. So can I oh, pray a blessing you. on you, sir? Lord, we pray I would for, pray for my cough, too. Yes, for this man to be healed and Douglas Woodward to go forward and make his days be very profitable and protect him. Lord God, is his, you, you've given him a sound mind. And Lord, the research of your Bible and understanding the rapture and preparing and the eminency of your return. Lord, I just pray that you'd comfort him and heal him, direct him, provide financially. And if there's anybody out there who you don't have nothing to do with your money, you could always send some to Doug. I think that would be good. And some some of you have some extra money laying around, so be blessed and be a help to those who are working hard to prepare for the return of the Lord. So, hey, Mr. S. Douglas Woodward. What a blessing you are. Thank are you, you okay Marky. over there? It's always nice Do to I talk have to send a rescue squad? This is rescue radio. Do we need to get an ambulance over there? <laughs> I've had a I've had a bad chest infection and, and had a bad cough. I, I told you what to do yesterday, now didn't I? Go get some essential oil. And I want you to know I ordered it all last night. Good. And you get that stuff going <laughs> in your system. Get some frankincense, rub it on your feet, and anoint your head with oil, like the Bible says. And um it's a, eat some hot chicken soup, chicken noodle soup. Chicken okay. soup is good for the soul. Yeah, it is. Right. 
And the well, Bible's even better. Yeah, the Bible's the best. Okay, well, God bless you, sir. You have an awesome, awesome rest of the day. Thank you. You did an thank excellent you. job. Say hi to, oh, thank you. Say hi to your family. And, and oh, yeah. I, the reason Ta-da. Jerry's not here today is because he's flying. He's in the air coming from London, so I couldn't catch him. <laughs> he wasn't available by, by phone, so. We'll have to tell him to listen to this and, and, I will. and hi to Daz also. I always like to say hi to Daz. Yeah, she's she's waving at you right now. So All right, very good, very good. Okay, God, God bless you guys. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Because there's a war for your soul.